We've had some guests on the show previously talking about email and email marketing, but my guest today, Ed Forto, really got me stopping and thinking a little bit more and a little bit more strategically around the use of email and email marketing. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And Ed has a very simple but very effective three steps in everything that he does, in the way that he does business. And I think this will give you a sense of what you're going to pick up from hearing Ed speak about email and email marketing is his three steps are make friends, talk shop, do business. And that's kind of the intro to, to this episode. And I think you'll take a lot away from it. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are, because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now, back to the show. Okay, Ed, thank you for joining us today. Really looking forward to having a conversation around not just not just email, but I think email marketing and then that bigger kind of conversation around that. But perhaps for the people listening, let's kind of take it back to the beginning. Why, why email? Why is email so important as a marketing tool in today's wonderful world of AI and technology? Why, why should we even be focusing on something like email? Yeah, email is, by the way, thanks so much for having me on your show, Paul. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, I think we're going to have a, a fun and, and informative conversation. Email, is, email has been around for a long time. It is still the number one communication channel, especially in the B2B market. A lot of people have said over the years that email is dead. It's far from dead. When people would get on Facebook and LinkedIn and message, and I can remember there was a couple days last year when Facebook was down and people were freaking out. And what do they do to talk about what was going on with Facebook? They used email. So email is still the number one communication channel. If you want to reach people, that's the way to do it. You don't have nearly the restrictions that you have on social media. And there's just a wealth of things that you can do that a lot of people aren't doing to leverage email to get this. So that's interesting. What are the things that you're seeing then that people are, are not doing? I mean, we can always talk about what are the things they shouldn't be doing with, e with email because we all get those in our inbox every day. But what are the things that people are not doing that they should be with them with email? Well, I think the first thing that people aren't doing is marrying it with social media. Say you're either you're running it ads or you're doing organic engagement and you don't have a list at any time, any one of those platforms can kick you off for any reason, even a reason that doesn't seem legitimate. And then you lose your network and all the people that you spend all that time interacting with. If you get them on your email list, even though you don't own the email platform, you still can download the list and you can take that list to any other email platform you want. So you still have that ability to communicate with them where you could lose it at any time with social media. But the second thing that you should be doing, and this is for the marketers that, the A-list marketers that make a lot of money online. When you're running ads, about 95 to as high as 98% of sales come from follow-up and the follow-up comes in email. So people see the ad, 
certain percentage buy, usually not enough to be profitable, but there's people that are interested at certain levels. Then you connect with them based on whatever level we're at. And we can talk a little bit about the Chet Holmes buyer's pyramid is, I think, something really critical for people to understand. And when they're building an email list and communicating with people, they should understand people are at different levels in their buyer's journey. But then you can use email to follow up based on where they are and then move them up this pyramid to a point where they're ready to buy. Right. And you say on, you know, that's kind of the A-list online marketers, but I think in this sense, where a lot of the listeners here are real estate investors, the chances are people who come across them first, be it on social media or at an event or whatever it is, they're pretty unlikely to jump straight in and say, okay, here's my retirement savings or here's here's $100,000 to to put into a real estate deal. So it would make total sense to start to build a relationship in some way and email. What you're saying is email, you can do that quite easily depending on where that person is in, in terms of the decision process. You mentioned Chet Holmes' buyer's pyramid. Tell right. us a little bit about that. So yeah, Chet Holmes put this together. Oh man, it's been a while. I remember when I bought a course, it was probably quite expensive, I think five grand. It had to be, it was over 20 years ago. And he talked about the buyer's pyramid. So is people come in to your, well, people are at different stages in their buyer's journey. So about 3% are considered to be in market. So they're actively looking to do something. If it's buying something, investing something, we work with clients that buy businesses. And so you have about 3% of the total market is interested in buying. So the problem with the in-market people is they're doing their research. They pretty much have an idea of how much they want to spend or what the fees are going to be working with somebody. And, they, then they, and they're also looking at the best possible service that they could get. So they want the lowest cost and the best service. That's the idea. But what they'll do is they'll move a little bit in so they're willing to pay a little bit more and say fees. And they're willing to get a little less service. And that's kind of the sweet spot for them. So they feel like they're compromising. But the problem with that group is they're usually not all that profitable for us. And they're also doing some backseat driving. So they, we're the expert in our field, but then they're taking what their research, what little they've learned, and they're telling us, well, what about this? And what about that? And they're, they're not the best clients. They're not, they're the ones that everybody kind of think they want because they're ready to buy now or act now, but they're problem clients. So I don't like working with them. The second group, which is about 7%, are the people that are open to have a discussion. They're persuadable. That's the ideal client to work with. You can then help them form their buyer criteria that would be favorable to you. The next group are the people that are unaware, and that's 30% of the market. Those people are also good because they don't realize that they should be doing something. And then you educate them and they go to the next level of being persuadable, and then you can sell them. Next group after that is another 30%. They're not even thinking about it. It's not on the radar. They don't think they need it. Those people, you have to move to the next level up. So now they're aware, they're thinking about it. And then to the point where they're persuadable. And the bottom 30% aren't interested at all. There's nothing you can do to try to sell them. There's no reason to even have a conversation. It's not going anywhere. Right. So, So that's interesting because I think you're right. A lot of people would want that 3% or they think that's the 3%. And I see far too often is 
then people just give up. If they don't be, if they aren't part of that 3%, then they assume wrongly from the stats you've given that lead is dead, but that lead could be the other 97, well, or at least the other 37%. Yeah, 30, actually 37 to 67%. Right. That, right. Those are the people that you build your marketing systems around. Mm. That I, I know several people that their, their sales cycle is six months. Right. And you hear six months like, wow, that's way too long. But you do get some people right away. You're, there's people buying along that cycle. And because you're having that opportunity to help construct or form their buying criteria, it's favorable to you. So when they're ready to buy, they're most likely to buy from you. Right. And it, 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 I'm just thinking as an old business coach of mine, and he had somebody from initial like awareness to actually buying was seven years. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> not He's patient. The, not, but, but, it, I mean, but it, what he was doing was consistent email. Yeah. That's how he was keeping in touch. And eventually the person put their hand up and said, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. But hopefully we're not all waiting seven years for our leads. No, it doesn't take that long if you know how to do it right. And so on, on that subject, what are the kind of things that you should be sending out to people to start to build that relationship? Well, I like to start off, let's say we're using, there's a couple of different ways to do it. Let's say, let's start with cold email or you're, it's cold outreach. You don't know the person. One of the things that I do is I do enough research on the front end because I, I, I know the numbers. I know out of a hundred people I send emails to, there's three there in market right now. They'll probably take a look at what I have. They may not talk to me. And there's another 7% that'll go, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk more. And then the other groups, some of them in that 30% may say that are unaware, may be interested, but I'm only going to get that part of the group to get back to me. So I'm going to give them something of broad interest, like no strings attached. Here's this thing. If you wanted about this topic, that gives me an indication that there's interest. Ideally what I've done my homework and I've identified people that I believe they've done something to indicate that there's interest, maybe they've attended a webinar or, or they've purchased some software or something that I can identify that would give me some indication that there's interest. And then I would reach out to those people. The reason why I want to reach out to people that I believe have interest is because from a marketing standpoint, you reach out to everybody. Hmm. From an email marketing standpoint, you only want to reach out to people that have interest because you're having to not only convince the individual that you email, you have something of value. You have to convince the marketing, the email, uh, mail provi email providers like Yahoo and Google and Outlook that you're providing something of value. Otherwise, they're not going to allow that email to go to their customers. They don't want anyone annoying their customers. So they want to know that, okay, this is something our customers want. If not, you'll end up going into the promotional inbox where most likely won't be seen. Or in spam, which is a lot worse, it definitely won't be seen. Right. What I'm surprised you say cold email because that that to me would strike me as is it really even worth it? Or is there are there other ways to reach people? As you say, prior, you know, whether it's a webinar or you know, lead magnet or mm -hmm. some report or something that at least registers some interest. Yeah, there's well, the thing about cold email, and a lot of people have negative opinions of it. It's because most people do it wrong. 
they're, they're trying to reach a lot of people. The way you do cold email the right way, you're reaching small groups of people that you've done research on. You've found out that there's some indication of interest. You can go on LinkedIn Sales Navigator. There's something on LinkedIn Sales Navigator Advanced. They have a filter called buyer intent. So you can look through there to see who has actual buyer intent. It's a pretty good indicator because Microsoft owns LinkedIn. Uh, Windows is on 85% of computers in the U.S. or you know, in the world. They track a lot of stuff. They have more data on us than anybody. So they know what we're looking at, how long we're looking at it. They have a pretty decent idea of uh, at least interest in a topic. So that's a good place to start. You can go again on LinkedIn. You can go on LinkedIn events. You can go on LinkedIn groups around your topic. That's a good indicator that there's interest there. So you can build an email list from that. The key, if you're going to do cold email, is you just try to start a conversation. You're not trying to make a sale. You're, the first thing you're doing is confirming that there's interest. So they take the thing that you're offering, and then you can have a conversation around that thing. It's not hard. And the, if, if you do it right, you get a higher reply rate from doing that than you would if you used an ad on, say, Facebook or LinkedIn or anywhere else first or, or YouTube and then got them on the email list. Yeah. Cause it, I heard just this week, like advertising success, you know, on something like Facebook is between one and 2%, Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is, which sounds, you know, okay. Might be a lot to some people, but to me, that seems a pretty small number. It if is. You're, if you're spending quite a bit on advertising and you mentioned LinkedIn, is that kind of your favored platform to to, to kind of do your research? And, and is that because of B2B or do you do B2C type of research? Well, B2B for sure. And just to circle back for a second, the difference between success on cold email, research cold email and social media, because you're right, 1%. If you're lucky, if you get that, I get a 75% open rate to my emails from cold email. And Whoa. consider that for a second. I get in my own email box, I get over 600 emails a day. I open maybe two or three. But when we send emails, we get really good open rates. And you can't send cold email to anything other than a B2B person. It's B2B, it can't be B2C. And then my reply rates are somewhere between 7 to 15%. So like way better, way better than social media. Forgive me, I went off on a tangent. What was the question you asked? No, that's okay. So I was just wondering, you know, LinkedIn was your favorite one, but yep. you've kind of answered it with the fact that it's a B2B platform. Yep. Do you, What would you do in a business-to-consumer type of situation? So if I'm looking for investors, I still think it's a good platform for doing that. You cannot do cold email to investors, but what you can do is connect with them. So if I'm on LinkedIn, the first group of people that I'm looking for are people that are active on LinkedIn. They're, they're posting content. And the reason why, it's just they're easier to reach, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. So I would look for somebody who's posting content. I would then comment on their content and I would ask a question at the end. So I'd engage them in a conversation publicly on their post. And then from there, I'd move that conversation to DM and then from there, I'd say, hey, can I send you an email about X? Like the same thing that I would do if I were to send a cold email. It'd be this thing, a guide, 
something of value that they'd want and want to read through. So we were talking before we started about LinkedIn and content amplification you mentioned. Was that part of that strategy that what you just described? That kind yeah, of content amplification is part of that strategy. So I'll if indulge me while I explain a little yeah, bit about please. content amplification. Yeah. So one of the big problems with social media is that we spend a lot of time on it if we're actively posting. We typically don't get a lot of traction on our posts. You don't get very many likes, you don't get very many comments. That's common for most people. So what I've done with content amplification is I have a group of people that I've, I've reached out to and I've said, hey, you have great content. I'd start off with the same process I mentioned. I, I look for somebody that's posting. I comment on their post. I make friends with them. And then we kind of talk shop. And then we do business. So I use this. That, that's kind of my North Star. It's make friends, talk shop, do business. I do that. You'll see that through everything I do. So in this case, the do business part is I see that you're, Paul, I see that you're posting content. I love your content. It's really good stuff. I don't understand why you're not getting more traction, but here, I wonder if you'd be open to do this. I'll engage on your content if you don't mind in return engaging with mine. Now, if you're not getting a lot of traction, you'll take that deal. Most people will say, sure, I'll do that. So now I've got you and then I've got a few other people that are doing that. And we're not talking about, I'm trying to sell you anything. All we're doing is supporting one another. Now I go out and I find the person that I want to work with as a client. And I do the same thing. I find that they're posting. I engage with their posts. And I say the same thing. Hey, would you like to support one another in our content? And now I have you looking at my content. But I've stacked the deck in my favor. I've got some people that are saying nice things about me because I'm saying nice things about them. And so when you come on my content, you're saying like for email marketing, Ed is the best at email marketing. He's always offering value. He's got great posts. This is a great idea. It just a, a love fest. You can't help but say good things about me because you're being influenced by what other people are saying and what I'm saying for you. And I've already done my research. I know you have an interest in email marketing. I figured that out before I even reached out to you. So now it's just a matter of time. At some point, you're going to come to me and say, hey, I'm looking to do this thing in email. That's the way it works all the time. I don't have to sell anything. They always come to me. And it's just a matter. I got my fishing line in the, in the, in the water. I'm just waiting. I, you're going to bite at some point. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. So it's a, like a two-stage or two-step process. One is, so I think a few years ago, if I remember, there was this kind of term LinkedIn pods. So you're kind of doing like an informal type of pod, isn't it? Because I think the thing with LinkedIn pods was that got kind of negative connotations was that yep. everybody was just slamming, you know, likes and on everybody else's posts. And it, there wasn't any really, there wasn't any real thought behind it. Right. It was kind of knee jerk type of liking and commenting versus something more considered that you seem to have. And I liked your strategy is. I think a lot of people hear the number, oh, well, LinkedIn has 780 million users and, you know, however many CEOs and all this kind of thing. And they think it's all going to be fantastic. But of course, you and I know that a big percentage of those never engage on LinkedIn. They've got right. a profile. They put it up seven years ago and they haven't touched it since. So you're taking that and you're squeezing all of that into much more 
tactical, strategic thought and actions, interacting with people that are already engaged and already invested time in LinkedIn and are looking for returns themselves effectively, isn't it? That's absolutely. And that's the low hanging fruit. That's, those are the easiest people to reach. And a lot, and people have compared what we do to pods. The difference between this and a pod is it's organic. Meaning right. what right. I ask okay. people to yeah. do is ring my bell so that you're notified whenever my content shows up and whenever I see it, not at a specific time, but whenever I see it, I'll engage with it. So sometime within usually 24 hours, I'm going to engage and yeah, we do get some traction, but you cannot count on, even though it's called content amplification, it gives the impression that we're going to get lots and lots of viewers. You are going to get more. But the whole goal is to get the right person, get this in front of the right person and then let other people influence them to do business with you. Right. And the beauty of that as well is, of course, I might be following somebody who likes your stuff. And then I see that and think, oh, he keeps liking Ed's stuff. I better go check out what Ed's doing. And then you've organically, and I love the word that you've used, all of a sudden you've got somebody else following you and engaging in your stuff because somebody that they're connected to has been doing that for you. So interesting. And in terms of email, go back to email marketing and email marketing systems, do you have any kind of preferred tools that you use from an email platform or, and why? Are there ones better than others? And which ones do you recommend? Yeah, for cold email outreach and even warm email outreach, I prefer to use tools that, uh, that are CRMs. So I don't pretty much any CRM will work because you're going to want to engage with people. So you have automated emails that are going to go out that you want to let people know it's an automated sequence. You, you just tell them that it is. And then you're engaging on some of the stuff. So here's the thing about letting them know that you're going to put them on a sequence of information. Like it's going to send out something, ideally something in the news, something of value that's current, they're going to see. And then you're going to engage with them every once in a while. So they're seeing the emails come in. You can see if they're opening the emails or not. And then you're just going to jump in and they're going to, th- they're, first they're going to think, oh, it looks like he's, this is email he wants me to answer. And so then they start talking to you because you've kind of broken the pattern that they're used to just reading. And now you're asking them to engage with you. So that's one thing. So one of the platforms, other than the CRM, any CRM will work that can connect to your email or Outlook account, are cold email platforms like Limlist is one, Apollo is another. Apollo has built-in lists so that you can find lists of people. Again, can't use it for B2C. On the B2C side, you want to use an email service provider, ESP. And you want to look for good deliverability because if you can't get the email in the primary inbox, hey, what's what use what's is sending the, the email? A lot of people don't get that. They get caught up in the copy. They get caught up in automation and sequences. And I'll say, well, you know, your emails are going into spam. We need to fix that first. So you want to have a, a platform that has a good reputation of getting the emails in the primary inbox. Active campaign is good for that. Actually, they're the best. MailerLite is another one that's very good at getting emails in the inbox. You can use advanced automation with those two tools. So the, where I use advanced automation is 
I send emails and I am, every time I send an email, I'm looking at binary events. Either open the email or you don't. That tells me something. You read the email or you don't. That tells me something. You click on a link or you reply. That tells me something. And every time you take an action, I add a tag. And then this builds up a profile to give me some idea, like what's the interest level of this person? And then I'm looking at the tags. I'm coming up with some idea of where you are in your buyer's journey. And then I'm putting you into another sequence based on where I believe you are. And if you're not there, you're going to tell me because either you don't open the emails or you don't click the links. So then, okay, I was wrong. We're going to take you back off of that, put you in the primary sequence again, and then try to figure out again, like, where are you? So the way I like to use email is if I were selling somebody one-on-one. -on -one. And so I'm asking questions, I'm giving information, I'm getting feedback, I'm observing you, I'm looking at your body language, I'm looking at how you respond. And then based on all of that, then I'm saying something. And you can do the same thing with email. I love that. And I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me to keep tagging people as their actions continue, because then you're building an even more targeted messaging and list, aren't you, at the same time? So, Indeed. Right. A lot of people don't do that. They don't, they use the tagging feature for general things like gender and location. Hey, those things are important. But if you're trying to make sales, you want to know where they are in their thinking, where they are in their buyer's journey. And you want to say the right things at the right time to the right people. And how often should you be emailing somebody on a, you know, if you've got them on your list, they've subscribed in some way or another, they've opted in. What's a good frequency and what's too much, too little? Right? That's a good question. And a lot of people have different answers for it. I'll tell you what's the right answer. <laughs> uh, and this is from, this is just from being in email deliverability and we work on uh, over 200 cold email campaigns and over a hundred active cold email campaigns and over a hundred active opt-in email campaigns. So we see a lot of data every month. So here's the right answer. You want to let the data determine how frequently you email people. So you'll connect your email to a service like Postmaster, Google Postmaster Tools. And then there are certain metrics that you want to follow. So you want to look at what the opt-out rate is. And you want to make sure you're at, at under the average opt-out rate. You want to make sure you're under the spam rate, which is one in a thousand. You want to make sure that your open rate is at least at 30%, ideally over 50%. So you're going to look at these matrix and say, okay, I can mail up. I can keep mailing. I can increase my frequency or decrease my frequency based on those metrics. And those are the best ways to do it because it's based on their behavior as opposed to some concrete number like three times a week once a once a day twice a month it, it's how is everybody's list is different and everybody writes differently so it's based on your writing your list and then how they're behaving is how frequently you should be able to and where are you starting to see ai in all of this and are you i'm imagining you probably are using it but where is it now and where do you see things kind of going from a positive aspect of email deliverability and email marketing? Sure. Well, with email deliverability, AI really doesn't have much of an impact at all. I, it, not really. What we're seeing with 
AI in writing emails is that people, it's not hard to get on AI, especially ChatGPT, and give it some prompts and it'll create emails for you. And yeah, they're okay. They're not very persuasive. They're not going to get a lot of opens. They're not going to get a lot of engagement. The, when you're using prompts, there are sequences that you have to use. So you have to go step by step by step. And you have to already understand good copywriting methods. If you're not well-versed in those, AI really isn't going to help you much right now. At some point, it's going to get better. But right now, what we do is we teach clients how to use AI to actually create quality emails, sales letters, VSLs, things like that. And when, they, when we show them what to do, it's a lot different than what they thought they'd have to do. It's a bit more work, but it's what would take maybe a week to write a really good email sequence would take an hour using AI. It's so much faster. Right. And in terms of the things that other things that people need to be thinking about, you kind of kicked off early, earlier on about what people are not doing. What else should people be doing when it comes to email and email marketing, in your opinion? Well, the first thing that they should be doing is make sure that their emails get in the primary inbox. That's something that I call a micro error. Then there's like a lot of different micro errors that we point out to people. It's these little things that make a big difference. It's like the pebble that you drop into the ocean that, okay, it doesn't seem like it's much, but there's that ripple effect. So let's say for email deliverability, a two, just a two to 3% increase in, in inboxing could end up being a 200% increase in sales. Because if you've got uh, several emails in your email sequence and yet it's this compounding effect, 2% mm. on top of 2% on top of 2%, it adds up pretty darn fast and it affects other areas of your marketing funnel. So that's the first thing that we tell people. It's like, let's make sure all of your emails are getting in the primary inbox because then we, not only do we have a better chance of selling, we can, we're working off of really good data. We're not guessing. We're knowing what's going on. So all the other stuff that I mentioned about tagging and segmenting, we have accurate data to work on there. The next thing that I would look at is your targeting. You really should do targeting better. You need to do qualifying people. You don't want to prospect people. You want to have an idea that this person does have an interest. So when I'm talking to them, the email provider is going to put all my emails, as long as my deliverability is good, they're going to look at the content and say, yeah, our customers want this information. So we're going to put it in the primary inbox. So those would be the first two and the big ones that you want to focus on. Okay. And anything that you would advise people to absolutely avoid doing when it comes to email and email marketing? Well, if you're doing B2C, absolutely do not use cold email because it's not right. used for that. It, do not try to do volume. A lot of people are looking to do the high volume email, a thousand a day, 2,000, 5,000. That's, I won't call it borderline spam. It's closer to being spam than being borderline spam. You absolutely don't want to do that. And you want to try at the very most to match, match, match the message with where they are in their buyer's journey. The better you are at doing that, the more success you'll have. In fact, it'll be easy. People will look forward to your emails because 
you're talking about where they are, like their interests. Like I'm interested in this topic, but I'm interested at this topic at this point. If, if you may, I'll give you an example. So let's say somebody has done their research. They're in the 3%. When we talked about Chet Holmes bias pyramid, if you're talking about general information that they've already researched, they, hey, I already know this. They're just, they're tuning me out now. Like, I know that this, obviously this person has no idea where I am. On the other side, if you start talking about details to somebody who is unaware or doesn't even think this is something that they're interested in, it, that's also a turnoff. So it's really figuring out where they are. And once you figure out where they are, emails get opened all the time. We have on average for our opt-in email, we're at 78%. And I mentioned to you earlier, it's 75% for, for cold email. And the reason is we figure out where they are in their buyer's journey and we communicate with them based on that. Okay. So what I'm taking away from our conversation, Ed, is data, data first, see what's happening, figure out where they are on the journey and then tailor the message to whatever point they're at yep. and then track the hell out of it so that you're going back. It's almost like a circle, isn't it? And then you're going back to the data. You're then yep. saying, okay, what happened when I did that? And how has that changed? Okay. Yep. And it's pretty easy. Once, once you get used to doing the data part, yeah, it's a bit boring, but because the percentage of people you sell is so high, Boring parts are pretty fun. I had, I've been doing consulting for over 30 years and some of my most successful clients had these really boring routines. They followed every single day, but they always had clients. They were the ones that on weekends, one client was, he took, he took his catamaran from the coast of Florida. He lived in New Jersey. He'd fly to Florida, take his catamaran to the Bahamas and he'd do that almost every weekend. How many of us can do that? But he had a very boring routine that he followed every day and he got clients in his pipeline every single day. So it's, you know, it's that boring work that a lot of people don't want to do that free you up to really have the lifestyle you really want. Yeah. I think you've underlined it. I just had that conversation with somebody earlier today and it, I said, well, yeah, that's great. If you want to do all this fancy campaign or something, but that may not be the best use of your time, resources, and money versus going back to the basics. And I think that's what you're underlining is it might be boring, but it's going to be successful if you do it right. Oh, for sure. And right. with AI and the different AI tools that are out there, for, it's not just artificial intelligence. It's also creating robots that can do a lot of the work for you. And then you can then find someone, whether it's in North America or, or in other countries where you may be paying less per hour, you hand them the system that you've built and they do all, they run the marketing, the prospecting, the stuff that nobody really likes to do. They do that. It's mostly automated. And so then you're left to then do the important stuff. You're talking to qualified prospects. They're already predisposed to do business with you. It, right. it becomes a lot easier, a lot easier. Great point. So a couple of questions I like to ask, I guess, before we kind of wrap up and let people know where they can find out more from you. Who, who is a favorite personal brand of yours and why? It's a good question. I'd have to say Oren Claff. He wrote a book called Flip oh. the Script. And what was his first book? Oh, it was a deal-making book. I've listened to Flip the Script. I also have, have his book here close by. You should probably thank me for the commercial. 
I've listened <laughs> to that book probably a hundred times. I do a five mile walk every morning. More often than not, I'm listening to his book all the time. There's always good stuff to pick up. And a lot of the process that I have where I make friends, talk shop, do business, and the end point, I'm not selling. I'm letting other people do the selling for me. He calls it inception, where you're putting your idea and the, making your idea the other person's idea. So it's their idea to do business with me. And it's just a form of inception that Oren talks about in his book. Okay, wonderful. And I think you've answered my second question, which is favorite business book or podcast. Is there any other books or anything that you would recommend? Gap Selling by Keenan is also a very good book. I've got his book, physical book, and then the audio book. I've listened to that a lot. That's really good for selling. My personal philosophy, as I mentioned before, is it's a three-step process. Make friends. Bookshop. Do business is do very business. simple. And you, I apply that to everything I do. So I'm never really hard selling anyone. I don't even have to sell. It, they, it, we get to the point where they just want to do business with them. Yeah, the, you've got that stamped in my brain now. Those three <laughs> steps. So that's great. And uh, do you have a, a new tool or resource that you're enjoying using at the moment? I do. I have a new tool that's coming out and we're testing it now. It's called the DealMaker Community. It's a Chrome extension. And what it's designed to do is find people in LinkedIn that are open to doing deals, collaboration, referring business, working on joint ventures, things of that nature. This is a certain way that I teach people to use it. It becomes really easy to say, meet almost anybody. Like, so if you're probably one connection away from anybody you want to meet. If you use the app properly, you can get that introduction to somebody. And an introduction is great because it starts a conversation. You're right into a conversation with somebody about what you do. So that's going to come out in a couple of weeks and they can reach out to me via LinkedIn and I'll be happy to tell them more about it. The nice thing about it for those that, that we invite, because it's by invitation only, so it's free. Right. Okay. Wonderful. We'll make sure that is in the show notes as well. And do you have a favorite quote that inspires or motivates you? That's a good question. Oh, man, you stumped me on the quote. <laughs> There's phrases that people have used, but a quote I'm stumped on right now. I didn't prepare for that one. Okay. Sorry. That's right. Well, uh, you can email me. We'll add it to the show notes. Okay, perfect. Okay. So, Ed, fascinating conversation. Thank you for sharing your insights and uh, experience. Where can people find out more about you? What's the best place to reach you? You mentioned LinkedIn. Yep. Uh, but maybe spell your surname for people so that they get that right. Sure. You can reach out to me at on LinkedIn. It's Ed Forto. It's LinkedIn forward slash N forward slash Ed Forto. It's E-D-F-O-R-T-E-A-U. And while you're there, if you reach out to me, we talked about comp content amplification. I've got an interactive brief, which explains the process of doing that. Reach out to me. I'm happy to, I'd be happy to share it with you. Wonderful. We'll make sure that is in the show notes as well. And Ed, thank you for today. Have yourself a brandtastic day. Thanks so much, Paul. It's great to talk with you. Thank you. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.